Thanks, Pastor John. And good morning, church. It's great to be with you. My name is Dave, and we are in the second week of our summer series in the book of Psalms called Welcome to the Rainforest. I mean, Cries of the Heart. <laughs> yeah, this is a series where we're kind of walking through a number of Psalms this summer to get closer to God. And one thing I love about the Psalms is while they are certainly God's words to us, they're offered to us by God for our transformation and instruction and growth. But they're also written to become our words to God. They're meant to help us express our deepest thoughts and feelings and struggles and joys and emotions to our Heavenly Father. And this is why I believe that when you read the book of Psalms, they're all sort of jumbled together. Some of you have high administration gifts, and maybe you're wondering, why aren't they grouped a little better? Why aren't all the happy ones together and the sad ones together and the mad ones together and the frustration ones together? Why are they all muddled together in, in a random pattern? And I believe that the Psalms are kind of messy because life is kind of messy, we don't just have happy days and sad days and mad days and glad days. We experience a range of emotions and not just in one day, sometimes in one hour, even in one minute. Just this past week, my wife's grandmother passed away and she was 96. Um, she was kind of like the grandmother to me as well. We both loved and adored her. And there were a lot of emotions in those days after her death, but not just the same emotion. There were tears and there was sorrow, but there was also stories and laughter. There was anguish and there was peace, all mixed together, sometimes within a matter of moments from one another. And this is how the Psalms are. They teach us to deal with our emotions. They teach us to authentically engage God with our real lives. And so in this series, we're looking at different types of psalms. Last week, Pastor Nick started us off in Psalm 37, talking about the cry for wisdom. In future weeks, we'll talk about the cry for lament, the cry for vindication, the cry for supplication, the cry for thanksgiving. But today, I want to invite you to pull out your Bible, open to Psalm 103, because we are going to talk about the cry for adoration. Our English word adoration comes from the Latin word adoratio, which means to give homage or worship to something. You see, adoration and praise, adoration and worship are very closely connected. And all of us as human beings, we were created to worship. We are hardwired to give adoration and praise to the people and to the things that we value. C.S. Lewis writes about this very thing. He says, there's something about life and human nature that when you see something that's praiseworthy or admirable, our instinct is to express adoration. We've all experienced this. We've, we've seen something. We've experienced something of, of value of, that's admirable, that's praiseworthy, and, and adoration has just flown out of our mouths. Just about a week ago, a buddy of mine and I took our sons backpacking to this place called Jefferson Park. Jefferson Park is the, the little area right at the foot of Mount Jefferson. And to get there, you had to actually hike for quite a ways. You had to walk up and over the mountain that's right next to, right in front of Mount Jefferson. And so the way it worked was for the entire hike, we couldn't see Mount Jefferson. It was behind the mountain that we were climbing. 
And so just as we get to the top of this mountain, just as we come up over the edge and go up onto the ridge of this mountain, there, right in front of us, is this enormous, beautiful, majestic mountain. Mount Jefferson was right there. It felt like I could reach out and touch it. And I'll tell you what happened, friends. Adoration began to flow from our mouths. It just began to come out of us because it was that impressive. It was that spectacular. It was that beautiful. Because again, as human beings, we are hardwired to praise and to worship and to adore things of beauty and value in our lives. And so the question that we're asking today, the question of this psalm is, how are we doing at adoring God? How are we doing at adoring God. How much worship, how much praise does God get from you and from me? Well, Psalm 103 wants to help us with this. Psalm 103 wants to activate the adoration of God in our lives. In fact, that's the title of my message today, Activating Your Adoration. Here we go. We're going to dive right in. Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. First of all, it's important to note that the author of this psalm, most likely David, begins by preaching to himself. He's talking to his own soul. He's saying, at the core of who I am, I want to be someone who values and esteems God so much that praise and adoration just flows out of my life. And you notice the word all there. All my inmost being praise his holy name. Friends, This is not a psalm about surface-level praise and adoration. This is not a psalm about singing a few tunes to God several times a week. This is a psalm about valuing God so greatly, seeing his worth so clearly, understanding who he is and what he's done so completely that adoration comes naturally and instinctively pouring out of our mouths and lives constantly. That's what this psalm is about. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul talks about this this same concept in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, your lives, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. This is how you express adoration. And then David, in the psalm, he tells us how to do this. He tells us how to raise the adoration quotient in our lives. And really, if you want to boil down his instruction to one word, you can do it. And that one word is simply remember. That's the key of this entire song or psalm. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not. Forget not. Remember. And when the Bible calls us to remember, we have to understand that the idea isn't just mental recollection. It's not just mentally recalling something. The idea is that we allow that thing, that thing we're remembering, to have the emotional impact on our lives that it is intended to have. When the Bible says, remember, it's asking us to be so conscious of something that that thing has the power to shape and direct our entire lives. Let me give you kind of an off-the-wall example. 
I remember and will always remember the very first time, and maybe you do too, I went to the grocery store after COVID hit. It was probably mid-April. I had recovered from my hip surgery and I went to the grocery store to get a few things for my wife. And as I got there, everyone was wearing a mask, myself included. There were people out in front cleaning off the shopping carts for everyone who wanted to take one. There were arrows on the ground, on the floor of the shopping center, directing you which way you could walk up and down the aisles. There were signposts all over posted saying, keep your distance, stay six feet away. And then there were plastic dividers hanging up between you and the cashier. And all this was new and everyone was being really, really careful to keep their distance because, because honestly, It felt like, at least to me in that first time, it felt like every single person in that store was infected with the virus. I was pretty sure they all had it and I was just trying to stay away from all of them. And I can still remember sort of squeezing past people and looking around to make sure that no one was getting too close to me. And when I got home from that outing, I turned to my wife and I said, that was the craziest, most Twilight Zone experience I have ever had. It was nuts. And here's the point. It wasn't just that I remembered that we were in a pandemic. It wasn't just that I mentally recalled that a pandemic was happening in our nation. It was that the coronavirus was so consciously on my mind that it radically shaped what I thought, how I felt, and how I acted. I remembered the coronavirus in a way that changed me. Now, This might seem like a weird analogy. For some of you, you might be saying, Pastor Dave, too soon. But the psalmist here is calling us to remember the Lord in that exact same way. To be aware of God in our lives, so much so that how we think, feel, speak, and act is utterly transformed. We are called to remember like that. And that, of course, begs the question, what are we called to remember? If the psalmist says, remember, and if you remember, then you will live a life of adoration, what are we called to remember? And I believe this psalm gives us four things, four transformative things for us to remember that will lead to adoration of God in our lives. Here we go. Let's dive in. Let's walk through them. One, we must remember the power of his benefits. Verse two, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. You see, there are benefits to making God your Lord and King. And now David will list out some of those benefits. Praise the Lord who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, your spiritual diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your mouth is renewed like the eagle's who forgives all your sins. That's the first line there. Think about all the times in your life when you don't live into being the person God created you to be. When you fall short, when you miss the mark. Just last week, I was loading our car for a family trip and one of the bags with some food in it fell out of the back of the van and a giant jar of spaghetti sauce shattered open, spewing messy red goop all over everything. And being the mature, 
Christian pastor that I am, I, of course, responded with patience and grace and understanding, even though right before a trip, when you're trying to get everything all packed up, it can be kind of a tense time, at least in my family, maybe in yours. Even though that was the case, I, of course, responded with amazing grace. Or maybe I didn't. And that's just one moment. But when I stop and think about every time that I've done the wrong thing throughout the course of my life, every time I've done the wrong thing, every time I've said the wrong thing, every time I've thought the wrong thing, every time I failed to do the right thing or the generous thing or the faithful thing or the humble thing, for every single sin in my life, big and small, God says this, I have forgiven them all. Friends, I don't think we spend enough time considering the enormous extent of sin that we've been forgiven for. It's huge. And David says, forget not. Remember all that he's forgiven you for. And not only does he forgive you, he heals you and redeems you by his power at work within you. You are becoming the person you were intended and created to be. A person filled with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's who he's creating you to be. That's who he's healing you and transforming you into all by his power and strength. And then verse five, and this is kind of a confusing verse, but the idea here is that the satisfaction of worldly desires fades with age. As you get older, satisfaction goes down. It gets smaller. What really satisfies you in your 20s is no longer there in your 70s. And if you doubt this, just go to the gym and watch some people play basketball. 20-year-olds love playing basketball. They get together with their buddies, they play, they work out, they they compete, they go home, they feel great. 70-year-olds, most of them can't even play, but the ones who can, it's not nearly as fun. And that's just one example of many. And if you think I'm wrong, you just watch someone get old. The satisfaction you find in this world goes down, down, down the older you get. But, but, here's what this passage says. If you desire the Lord, his satisfaction will never fade. It will be like you're 25 forever because satisfaction found in the Lord does not go down with age. It actually goes up and you will be like a kid your entire life if your desires are pointed at the Lord God. Friends, we must never forget the power of his benefits. Forgiveness, healing, redemption, satisfaction. All things that he offers us. Next, we must consciously remember the justice of his character. Listen to this, verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. Friends, these two verses are are a reference to God's people when they were slaves in Egypt. And this passage is telling us that God does not ignore the evil and injustice of this world. He sees it. He is not apathetic to it. And he's working to make things right. He's a God who works for righteousness. 
And friends, in the same way that he did that through Moses back then, he longs to use his people today to work righteousness and justice in our world because that is who our God is. And again, David says, forget not who your God is. Don't forget that he's a God of righteousness, that he opposes injustice and oppression. Don't forget that. Next, we're reminded in verses 8 through 18 of the magnitude of his love. Forget not the magnitude of his love. Listen to to these words. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he has removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. The life of mortals is like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone. And its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Friends, in this part of the psalm, we are actually told what motivates God's forgiveness. What what motivates his forgiveness? It says in verse 10, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. You and I, we don't get what we deserve. Why? Because God's love is greater and more enormous than we can possibly imagine. Listen to verse 11. For as high as the heavens are above the earth. That's how big God's love is. For as high as the heavens are above the earth. And friends, when this was penned in Bible times, the people didn't even really know what they were saying. They would look up at the stars and they knew they were up there. They knew they were far away. But today we really know. Today, science tells us, NASA tells us, that if you go 186,000 miles a second, that's the speed of light, 186,000 miles a second, you can reach the end of the known universe in 225 trillion years. That's how high the heavens are above the earth. That's how great God's love for us is. And the psalmist here compares the magnitude of his love to the smallness of our lives. He says, you have God's love that's more, that's more enormous than you can possibly imagine. And our lives who are, that are smaller than we sometimes think they are. And it's as if David is saying this to us. He's saying, even though we are small and tiny and trivial and brief, we're significant because of his great love for us. We're small but significant. Why? Because of God's amazing love. David says, forget not the magnitude of his love. And finally, we're told we must consciously remember the enormity of his kingdom. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. 
Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, my soul. That word dominion is about where God has rule and reign and power and control and authority. And this last section is reminding us how enormous God's dominion is how far his rule reaches. Friends, it would be like if someone really powerful in our world or really popular or really influential decided to come to your house, someone famous. Maybe they don't just come to your house, maybe they invite you to their house. Or even better yet, they invite you to spend a few weeks this summer on vacation with them. Someone really cool, someone really popular and powerful. Now, if that happened... Do you think you'd talk about it? Do you think it would have an impact on you? Would you gush about it to your friends and your family? Would you post about it on Facebook or Instagram? What if Phil Knight decided to take you and your family to his private island in the Philippines? Or if Chris Pratt flew you to Greece where you spent a few weeks in his mansion on the coast? Or if LeBron James just asked you to come on down and hang out with him and his family in Miami for about 10 days? Would that be cool? Would you be excited? Would you talk about that with your friends? Yeah, you would. Why? Because those people are a pretty big deal in our world, in our culture, in our society. They have a lot of power. They have a lot of popularity. They have a lot of influence. And their connection to you would make you feel important, would make you feel cool, would make you feel like you were somebody. Now, some of you might be denying that's true, but you're just lying to yourself. I promise you, if LeBron James invited you to his house, you would feel cool. I don't even care if you don't know who LeBron James is. Your grandkids would tell you who he is, and then you'd feel cool about it. But now listen, listen to the point here. Because what the psalmist is telling us in this this final section is that God's power and popularity and prestige and control and authority and rule and reign and wealth extend far beyond those individuals, beyond this society, beyond this nation, beyond this planet, beyond this physical realm even that we live in. And they reach out to everywhere. That's how powerful and popular and wealthy and amazing our God is. His dominion reaches everywhere. Every living being in every spiritual realm bends its knee to him. And he loves you. He cares about you. And not only that, He doesn't just invite you on some fun little vacation. He invites you into an eternal and everlasting relationship with himself through his son, Jesus Christ, who by his death and resurrection has redeemed you and made you right with God now and forever. And friends, David is saying in this psalm, if you will remember that, if you will forget not, if the power of his benefits and the justice of his character and the magnitude of his love and the enormity of his kingdom will consciously stay on your mind, if you will allow those truths to shape you and change you and transform you and not just float off into the distance, into the back of your mind, but if you will keep him in the front and if you will remember who he is and what he's done, then, then the adoration of your God will flow constantly 
from your life. You see, you raise your adoration quotient by keeping who God is and what he's done in the forefront of your mind. Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us. Thank you for calling us to remember who you are, what you've done, what you've offered us, who you continue to be. Thank you for reminding us how how huge your kingdom is. Thank you for reminding us of the enormity of your love for us that's incomprehensible to us, Lord. We can't even grasp it. Thank you that your love gives us, mere mortals, amazing value and significance. I pray, Lord, that these truths would not be forgotten by us, but they would sit in our minds, that they would shape us, that they would shape the way we think, the way we speak, and the way we act. I pray, Lord, that no other truths in this world would shape us and form us and transform us as much as the truth of who you are does in our lives. That's our prayer, Lord. That's what we long for. Help us to be people who remember. And we pray this, Lord, in the wonderful and blessed name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you, friends. It's great to be with you. And we'll see you next week.